Hi, I'm Joseph Feraldi. I want to thank you for joining us here at Bayside Chapel Online. Our prayer is that today's service will be a blessing to you, that it will encourage you in your journey with Jesus Christ, and it will help you to see all that God has in store for you. We would love to hear from you on how God is using this ministry to bless you, and we'd love the opportunity to pray for you. Just send us an email at amen at baysidechapel.org. Remember that you can stay in touch with us at any time. Just visit the App Store and search for our app at Bayside Chapel of NJ. Also, if God is using this ministry to bless you, we'd like to give you the opportunity to partner with us financially. Simply go online to BaysideChapel.org or use the Bayside Chapel app and choose whatever option works best for you. Enjoy today's message. Well, I want to tell you a little story about a young boy, a young boy whose childhood was filled with heart-wrenching struggles, a confused boy whose mind exerted so much effort in trying to make sense of the, the dysfunction and abuse around him. This little boy was also a sensitive little boy. So the moments of rage and chaos that he witnessed stung his little heart. He grew up struggling with this exhausting combination of deep anger, insecurity, and this relentless pursuit to to please everyone and to be liked by everyone. But sin had taken root in his life. As the boy got a little bit older, he started brawling all the time. He started lying to get himself out of jams. He started stealing to impress his friends. He started uh, cutting to relieve some of the anger he was feeling. And he started lusting to satisfy his own desires. And his anger had even gotten so bad that at one time when he was a little boy, in order to, in an attempt to avenge a group of older boys, this little boy prayed to the devil, uh, asking for supernatural strength. And to make matters worse, the boy was plagued by depression and anxiety, and things had gotten to the point of utter hopelessness that by the time this young boy became a young adult, he thought suicide was the only way out, the only way forward. But God. See, if I end the story there, all you get is this picture of a sin-stained backdrop, but, but God. See, what happened was this young man went on to experience the love of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, the mercy of Jesus. And through God's mighty hand, Jesus took this young man and he, Jesus set this young man free from his stained backdrop of sin. Then Jesus began, began painting a beautiful portrait of redemption right alongside on top of that stained backdrop of sin. The man's rage was quelled. His struggle with pornography and lust was overcome, and he found renewed confidence in his union with Christ and his identity in Christ. He went from being a brawler to being a peacemaker. He went from being a wise guy 
to one who sought after God's wisdom. He went from being angry, sinful, and, and vengeful to being joyful, redeemed, and healed. And get this, because this is the really crazy part. He was even called by God to become a pastor. Not just any pastor, the teaching pastor of Bayside Chapel. So that's a little bit of my story. Now, now we're, we're, we're applauding for Christ, right? Because that is not anything to do with me, right? It's, it might be common to, to think, oh, that's, that's great, Ken. You did a great job pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, but that's not what happened. It was only by the grace of God, right? But then there's the other side of that. There's the other side. Maybe you're thinking like, wow, Ken, that was like TMI. I don't, I like you, but I don't want to know you that much. And if I could be honest, that's not easy. It's, it's, it's uncomfortable being that vulnerable, being that transparent. So why did I do that? Well, to be honest, it was pure conviction, Because the passage that I studied this week and the passage that we're going to be looking at this morning reminds us that every single salvation story is written against the stained backdrop of sin. Every single story. My story is. Your story is. If you're a forgiven sinner who's now a saint, your story is written against a stained backdrop of sin. Not only our story, also The story of the Apostle Paul, right? That mighty man of God who mentored and shepherded uh, his his young protege, Timothy. So last week, we jumped into 1 Timothy um, chapter 1, and we're in our second week of the series that we're calling The Apprentice. And we watched last week as Paul encouraged Timothy to keep focused on on the gospel. Keep focused on the gospel. Don't ever take your eyes off Jesus. Paul uh, encouraged Timothy to keep the main thing, the main thing. And you're going to, Paul tells Timothy, you're going to do that by resisting the pull of theological speculation. And you're going to do that by rejecting the push of any kind of religious legalism. Keep focused on the gospel. That was Paul's charge to Timothy in the first half of 1 Timothy chapter 1. Now, why was this so important? The reason why it was so important was because at the center of the gospel is Jesus, and Jesus is the source of all peace, all hope, all life, all grace, all mercy, all salvation. That's why it's important to keep focused on the gospel, right? Apart from the message of the gospel of salvation that's rooted in the actual history of Jesus of Nazareth and made readily available by God's grace, we have nothing. We are nothing apart from the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God wants to remind us this morning then just how magnificent and far-reaching his grace truly is. And that's what Paul reminds Timothy of. What Paul tells Timothy uh, in this passage in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1 verses 12 through 20, what he tells Timothy is, don't ever lose sight of God's grace. If his grace, Timothy, could reach out and save me, trust me, Tim, his 
Grace can reach out and save any sinner. So don't give up on people who seem too far gone. Don't give up on them. Remind them of God's patience. Remind them of God's mercy. Remind them that the sin-stained backdrop of their lives is the very canvas upon which Jesus paints beautiful pictures of redemption. So our passage, again, is 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 20. Listen as I read the word of the Lord. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So this passage drips with grace. It's all about grace. And what is grace? Grace is simply God giving us what we don't deserve, right? That, that's grace. Uh, another way of thinking about it, um, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. Every blessing that is ours comes to us because of Jesus, because he paid the cost for us. So again, this passage is all about grace. And what we see are three powerful effects of God's grace. So here's the first one we see in the passage. The grace of God transforms us from fallen sinners into faithful servants. The grace of God transforms us from fallen sinners into faithful servants. See, the grace of God is powerful in bringing about transformation. It's powerful in taking the likes of us when we were at our dirtiest when we were at our darkest and reviving us with the very breath of Jesus, then having revived us with his breath, he adopts us into his family. He indwells us with his spirit. He empowers us with his strength and he releases us to serve him faithfully. See, we're given the, the same strength to serve Jesus that the apostle Paul was given, that Timothy was given. It's the same exact strength that we have available to us. So look at verse 12. Paul says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. So Paul here, right, uh, right out of the gate, he's deeply grateful for grace. He's so thankful. And as he thinks back to the, the previous decades of his life, how he was used by God to preach a gospel that turned the world upside down, that he acknowledges that everything he is, that everything he did in ministry, that all of it can only be explained by the grace of God in Jesus. 
See, and it's important for Paul uh, to inform Timothy. He wants to make sure Timothy knows that all of his own success, all of Paul's uh, quote-unquote success came about not on the basis of Paul's education, not because of Paul's experience, not because of Paul's charisma. It all came about only as a result of the grace of God. That is it. That is the only thing that can explain Paul's life. So Paul acknowledges that his faithfulness to Jesus was only a matter of Jesus exercising faithfulness through him. See, Jesus judged Paul faithful, as it says here. Uh, Jesus judged Paul faithful and called him to ministry, not because Paul had already been faithful, right? As if the call was somehow contingent upon his faithfulness. He judged him faithful for ministry because Jesus would make him faithful. Now, at this point, it's easy to be thinking, well, yeah, that's easy to say. Uh, Jesus might take a sinner like Paul and use him for some kingdom work, but you have no idea about my past. He can't use someone like me. If you had any idea of the damaged relationships I've caused, or if you had any idea of the shameful decisions I've made, or heck, if you knew what I struggled with last night, you wouldn't even be saying this. Well, to those who might be thinking that, Paul now holds himself up as exhibit A of God's transforming grace. Look at verses 13 and 14. He says, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. See, what Paul's doing here is he's unveiling for Timothy his, his dark past, the dark canvas of his past that's stained with sin, that's stained with hatred. But upon all that, God painted a, a gracious and breathtaking masterpiece of redemption. So Paul is sharing his testimony here. That's what he's doing. He, he's simply sharing his testimony where he was before Christ and the difference that Christ has made in his life. See, before he was Paul the Apostle, he was Saul of Tarsus. He was a Jewish religious extremist. He relentlessly pursued and persecuted uh, the early Christians, people in the first church in Jerusalem. He invaded homes, dragging uh, professing men and women out of their homes, putting them into prison, trying to force them to renounce their faith, and even giving the word for a bunch of them to be executed. He was a brutal and bloodthirsty man. Saul was a religious predator who instilled fear in the hearts of believers. He was hell-bent on destroying the early church. He hated Christ. He hated Christianity. His ultimate goal was nothing short of the complete extermination of Christians. See, so intense was his violence and hatred that had he been born in another era, Saul of Tarsus could have easily been Hitler of Germany or a jihadist of the Islamic State. But God, see, despite the atrocities that Paul committed, despite the pain that he was responsible for, despite the lives that he snuffed out with his, uh, with his own lips, Paul says here, I received 
mercy. I received mercy in my sinful ignorance. The floodgates of God's grace just overflowed into my life in rivers of faith and love. And he says, I'm living proof of God's transforming power, of the transforming power of Jesus to take the foulest of sinners and to make him a faithful servant. See, Paul's dramatic transformation story, my salvation story, your salvation story, it served as a powerful reminder that no one is beyond the reach of God's mercy. No one is beyond the reach of God's grace. No one. See, it's only God's grace and mercy that satisfy the thirst of the sinner. You can think of mercy and grace as um, two friends who were dispatched from the heavens to help in a time of need, right? Grace gives undeserved good to the sinner, while mercy withholds deserved judgment from God. The way one writer put it, mercy is like a father who protects his sinful daughter when judgment comes courting. But before judgment is able to find her, Grace captures her heart and sneaks her through the window of salvation. When judgment finally arrives, the daughter is no longer eligible, for she is happily married in the arms of grace. See, one powerful effect of God's grace is its ability to transform us, to transform us from fallen sinners into faithful servants. And then in the next few verses, we see a second powerful effect of God's grace, and it's this. The grace of God enables us to be walking stories that showcase his salvation. The grace of God enables us to be effective witnesses and testimonies. Verse 15, Paul says this. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. See, Paul identifies himself here as the foremost or or the first of sinners. He's expressing the reality that he's a, a living, breathing, walking, talking billboard of God's grace. And for anyone who wants in on that grace, no matter how great a sinner, Paul passes along the truth of the gospel that must be embraced, that must be a fully accepted and the trustworthy Gospel in a nutshell is this. The Lord Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. There you have it. A nice, succinct statement of the gospel. The Lord Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. This is the center of the gospel. The entire basis of our salvation rests on the historical person and work of ministry. When he came into the world in his incarnation, to live a perfect life, to die the death we deserved, and to be raised so we could have new life. See, this is the greatest wonder in all of history. And yet, Paul tells us it's true. It's trustworthy. You could believe it. You could hang your hat on it. It really happened. See, Paul experienced the life-saving, the life-changing salvation of Jesus His life can only be explained by God. And he fully understood then that as a result of encountering the God of grace, now his life would be lived in service to God. Paul knew that one of the reasons that God changed his own story was so that God would change other people's stories through Paul's changed story. And this is the very point he makes in verse 16. He says, But I received mercy for this reason. 
that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. See, what Paul's saying here is, one of the reasons Jesus showed me mercy is so that I'd be an example of his incredible patience towards sinners. See, Paul's story was a perfect illustration of the effectiveness of the gospel and the power of Jesus to rewrite his story. And so many times we're reluctant to do what Paul did, right? Be- being so transparent and showing the-, the sins of our past or the scars of our hearts. Nevertheless, God has called every single one of his children to showcase his salvation, right? My story is one that testifies to God's limitless grace. The entire Carlson family is a testimony to God's inexhaustible patience. But what about your story? Has Jesus changed your story? So if you're a believer, the answer is yes. And if the answer is yes, then that means you do have a story to tell. So who's the last person you told? Can you, can you remember? Think of the next person you want to tell. Rely on God's grace for that. See, we can't shy away from the ugly parts of our past. We can't hang our heads low in shame. We can't hang our heads low in regret because in God's economy of grace, his glory shines even brighter against the backdrop of our dark pasts, of our sin, of our failures, of our mistakes. Instead, you've got to think back to the person that you were. Right? Think back to those messy and meaningless uh, pages of your story that you wish you could just tear right out of your book. Or think back to uh, those times where uh, you just wish you could remove those uh, destructive chapters out of the uh, pages of the book of your life. When you think back to all that, and then you come to see that in light of the absolute beauty and majesty of God's grace. You see the contrast of the difference in our lives when we turn over to him, the pen and the book, so he could rewrite our story. So maybe you have yet to do that very thing. Maybe Jesus hasn't changed your story yet because you're still trying to write your own. You're still trying to be the author of your own story or you're still trying to be the hero of your own story. But maybe you've had it. Maybe you feel frustrated. Maybe you realize you can't do it. Maybe you're stuck. Maybe you feel like you have a spiritual writer's block. You failed to write and publish the book that you've wanted. Maybe you failed at the beginning. Maybe you have way too many chapters uh, where you failed in the middle. Or maybe you're just fearing failure at the end. Or maybe all of these things are true, and yet you still find yourself reluctant to hand your pen and book over to the author. My encouragement to you is simply this. Admit that you're a failed author, that you're a sinner, that you can't write your own story. Bypass all the other uh, authors who say they could write your story. Instead, ask Jesus to take your pen and write a new, satisfying, hope-filled story. Amen? See, now... Not only will all the chapters be more exciting and meaningful, but the ending is completely different. Yeah. 
And if for some reason you think that you're too far gone for God to save you, you're believing a lie. Right? God's not going to be repulsed by the disappointing chapters in your life. He's not going to be taken aback by the humiliating chapters of your life, the tragic chapters, the chapters that read like a horror story. Remember that no story is too far gone for Jesus to rewrite. Jesus delights in welcoming prodigals home no matter how far you've wandered. He longs to exchange your failed story for a better story. So turn away from sin, turn away from yourself, and turn toward Jesus. Embrace him for all that he is and all that he's done. He's your king and he's your savior. He will always welcome you home, no matter what. Sinner, his grace is there for you. And saint, you stand in that grace already, even when you don't feel like it, even when you don't feel it. You're in that grace already. He's welcoming you back home. I love this story that Max Lucado tells of a a girl from Brazil named Cristina. Cristina lived in this poor Brazilian neighborhood, and she always dreamt of getting away to the city. She wanted to go to Rio, Rio de Janeiro. She always dreamed of a better life in a big city, discontent with living uh, her poor life in this uh, poor village with her mom. Well, one morning, Christina slipped away, breaking her mother's heart. Her mom had no idea where she went. And knowing what life on the streets would be like for her daughter, Christina, uh, Maria, the mom, packed a bag to go in search of Christina. So on her way to the bus stop, Maria enters a drugstore to get one last item. She wants to get pictures, pictures of herself, So she spends all her money and gets as many pictures, uh, photos of herself made as possible. And with her purse full of photos, she then gets on the next bus headed to Rio. See, she knew Christina had no way of earning money. She knew life for a young, attractive uh, female in Rio could be really dangerous and really scary. And she also knew that her daughter was too stubborn to give up. So she recognized that there's a chance her daughter would have to do some of those unthinkable things to survive. Knowing this, Maria began her search. She went to Rio. She searched bars, clubs, hotels, any place that had a reputation for streetwalkers or prostitutes. She went and visited them all. And at each place she went, she left a picture of herself. Taped on a bathroom mirror, tacked on a hotel billboard or uh, pasted onto a lamppost on the corner of the street. And on the back of every single photo that she hung, she wrote a little note. Well, it wasn't long before both the money and the pictures ran out, so Maria had to leave Rio and go back home to her village. So the weary mother wept the whole bus ride home. And it was a few weeks later then that Christina in Rio descended the stairs of her hotel at a place in Rio. Her young face was tired. Her brown eyes no longer danced with youth, but spoke of fear and pain. Her laughter was broken. Her dream had become a nightmare. And then as Christina reached the bottom of the stairs, 
of the hotel, her eyes noticed a familiar sight. She looked again, and there on the hotel lobby mirror was a small picture of her mom, Maria. Christina couldn't believe it. Her eyes burned and her throat tightened. She walked across the room and removed the small photo. And then written on the back of the photo was this compelling invitation. It said, whatever you have done, whatever you have become, it doesn't matter. Please come home. And Christina went home. See, with his gracious message in the gospel, Jesus compels each one of us to return to him to come home. No one is too far gone for God's grace. Isn't the grace of God an incredible thing, church? Amen? Amen. Are you thankful for it? You could clap for that. And a clap is a good segue because for Paul, he's reflecting on God's grace and thinking about all this And now it's actually impossible for him to keep writing without breaking out into worship because that's what he does in verse 17. He says this, he says, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So Paul essentially breaks out into song and he starts praising God. He's singing, God, you're the eternal and immortal king. God, you never change. God, you never grow tired or weary. You'll never be touched by death or decay. God, you're absolutely sovereign over absolutely everything. You exceed the limits of what our eyes can see and what our minds can fathom. You are the only God and Jesus is our only king. Man, what an incredible lesson in grace this is. Instead of looking back, in guilt, instead of timidly hiding from our sin-filled, shame-ridden past, we need to take a cue here from Paul and see our past through the lens of God's grace. Because a true understanding of God's grace in our lives, when we truly understand God's grace, it's going to move us closer to worship, right? It won't move us toward fear, It's not going to push us toward insecurity. It won't unravel us with shame. God's grace is always going to move us to worship. It will move us to praise. It will move us to faithfully proclaim the goodness of God and the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. So there's two effects of God's grace that we've seen. God's grace transforms us from fallen sinners to faithful servants And his grace enables us to be walking stories that showcase his salvation. Well, in light of the beauty and purity of the gospel, in light of the importance of grace, a third reminder that we have of some of the powerful effects of God's grace is simply this. The grace of God strengthens us to keep a firm grip on the gospel. We're strengthened by God to firmly hold to the gospel. Verse 18, Paul says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. See, what Paul's saying here is, uh, Tim, you remember your instructions uh, that we gave to you for Ephesus. Your instructions in Ephesus are to Uh, refute the false teachers, protect the gospel, keep focused on the gospel, keep the gospel of grace central to everything. Don't forget how God called you. Don't forget how God equipped you. Be confident in your calling that was confirmed for you when we laid hands on you in your ordination. Verse 19 and 20. Then he says, holding faith 
and a good conscience. By rejecting this, Paul says, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. See, Paul's reminding Timothy of the need to hold fast to the faith, to keep a firm grip on the gospel, to continue in his dependent faith on the Father. Because he says, when others lost their grip on the gospel, when they started to alter the course of the ship, they went wayward and then they completely were shipwrecked. They got lost. And he mentions two specific false teachers who were excommunicated from the church. And then Paul says that, they were handed over to Satan, that he handed them over to Satan. Now, what he's saying here simply is that uh, he removed them from the fellowship of the church and put them outside into the world, the, the domain of Satan. That's what, Paul sa- that's what Paul means when he says, handed them over to Satan. Now, now, why did Paul do this? Why did they excommunicate these two guys from the church? Is it to, to punish them? To judge them? to make them examples, to shame them. None of that. It was to save them. Remember, Paul himself was a blasphemer, right? And he's now kicking two guys out of the church who are guilty of blasphemy. He's doing this, though, all in hopes that these men will feel the pain of being removed from the fellowship of the saints and that that would encourage them to be restored to the gospel and restored to the church. And he's doing this in hopes that these guys are going to repent. They're going to return home. See, after all, if God's grace could extend to the blasphemer known as Saul of Tarsus, it can extend to Hymenaeus and Alexander. Paul knew that. And it extends to us. So if there's one thing you take away from this passage, 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 20, it's simply this. No one is beyond the reach of God's grace. No one is beyond the reach of God's grace. God's grace is there for the sinner. God's grace is there for the saints. We just keep going back to that well and never runs dry. I love the story told of one doctor, um, a compassionate doctor, who traveled deep into the jungle to provide medical care to this uh, primitive tribe there. This tribe was afflicted with a contagious disease. So the doctor had his medical equipment flown in. He correctly diagnosed the problem, and he had all the antibiotics prepared. He had them all available. He was independently wealthy, so he had no a need of any kind of financial compensation. But as he seeks to provide care, the afflicted refuse. They refuse his care. They want to take care of themselves. They want to heal on their own terms. But then finally, a few brave young men step forward to receive the care that the doctor is freely providing. Now, what do you think the doctor feels not sadness, utter joy. He feels utter joy. His joy increases to the degree that the sick come to him for help 
and healing. It's the whole reason he came. Now imagine, those are not strangers, but those are his family members. How much more will he want to provide them care and give them all the help that they need? Dane Ortland says this. He says, Christ doesn't get flustered or frustrated when we come to him for fresh forgiveness, for renewed pardon. That's the whole point. He went down into the heart of death and punched out through the other side in order to provide a limitless supply of mercy and grace to his people. Church, no one is beyond the reach of God's grace. So, if you've never accepted, received this gift of grace, my encouragement to you is find one of us after the service or go to one of the info centers in the back. Um, talk to one of us. We'll put a book in your hands. And my challenge to you is, is, is simply this, just to consider the claims of Jesus. Consider what kind of person he was. Consider who he claimed to be and consider all of his miracles and everything he did. Because God just might be wanting to rewrite your story. He rewrote my story. He rewrote Paul's story. He rewrote Timothy's story. He rewrote every single story of every single saint. And this is actually what we're going to celebrate on Friday night at our night of worship. Um, 6.30 p.m. on Friday, I'd encourage everybody to come out to that. We're going to have three Bayside-ers, um share their testimonies, how God's grace completely transformed them. Uh, so definitely come out to that on, on Friday as we, as we learn more about the magnificence of God's incredible grace. Would you stand as I close us in prayer and as we transition to a closing song of worship? Father, we thank you so much for your limitless grace. Lord, thank you that your grace is a well that never runs dry. It's a storehouse that never runs out. God, thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you, Jesus, for living the life that we could never have lived, for dying the death that we deserve to die, and for conquering the enemies of sin and death that we would have never been able to defeat. Lord, I pray that you would help us to share our stories with others, that you'd give us all of the grace, all of the courage, all of the, the, the compassion and, and, and yearning that we need to see others transformed by the same grace that transformed us, by the same grace that transformed Paul. Lord, I pray that you would illuminate this, uh, this Barnegat neighborhood, that you would illuminate all of Southern Ocean County, with the bright, shining grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, equip each one of us to share our stories with others. Lord, that as you changed our stories, that we would be storytellers who tell others about the story changer. Lord, we love you, and we are so thankful for your grace, that amazing grace 
none of us deserve, but you so freely give to us. We pray these things in the gracious and powerful name of our Lord and Savior and all the saints said, amen.